Welcome to the Small Hours Podcast. My name's Al Gavada. Thank you very much for joining us. This is episode number 10. And um, like I mentioned last week, I said, got a lot of things in the works. Uh, this wasn't a lot in the works, but there is one thing that uh, that did come into fruition, and that is having a guest host. What's up? Hey! It's my brother Joe, everybody! Hey! How you doing? How you doing? How you doing? Now, the reason uh, why Joe's here is because you're actually a member of the Small Hours uh, crew, the original Small Hours crew. Yes, I am. The radio version. The radio version, yes. Because there has been no crew in the Small Hours podcast. No. It's just been me and the, the ceiling fan behind me. That's usually what you hear. <laughs> so, uh, what you been up to? How's, uh, how's it been since you've not done the Small Hours? It's been lonely. Right? It's been it's been very long time. It's been, uh, uh, every time there's a there's a chance of resurgence, and right. like, yeah! Man. Nothing. And now, I, I waited. Uh-huh. Episode ten. Okay, we're right. getting you're going, you're rolling. Exactly. So now, now it's a now it's a real deal. Yes. And uh, so hopefully, uh, I don't know how I can add any more microphones, but two <laughs> two should be <laughs> sufficient. I don't think I don't see having four people yet, unless I uh, plug in that mixer and figure something else out. The, the reason I'm recording directly onto uh, my digital recorder is. Uh, the the computer is old uh-huh. and it craps out, you know. So it's like all of a sudden I'm uh, listening to the uh, recording and you just hear and it cuts off like in the middle of a word. I'm like, oh. So I started doing this one as a backup, and instead of using the computer file, I just started using this file. So I said, why even use a computer anymore? And it's your mobile studio. It had right. all, it had been so yeah, you know, exactly. And, and it, it actually worked out well. Like right now, I'm using the microphone. Yeah, it actually. I, we're, it, you should see the rig. <laughs> I may use a picture of our rig the way it is, just so uh, as as the little uh, graphic uh-huh. to promote it because it's that's teamwork. Man. Yeah, it teamwork. is, man. This is this is a Joe Gavada masterpiece, <laughs> man. This works out beautifully. We're using the base of a uh, guitar stand, guitar stand, uh-huh. and a, uh, a metal back scratcher. Told my microphone. So you know, you know what it is. It's very small hours. <laughs> there you, you know, go. Very much small hours. I was telling you a little while ago that I was listening to an episode of the Small Hours where, and I told uh, Wolfman about this um, via uh, Messenger, Facebook Messenger earlier today, that I think it was from about 1999. First off, my voice sounded really high, and uh, Wolfman was a brand new DJ. You weren't there. Sammy the House was there. Jay the Bad Guy was there. May rest in peace. But we were talking about the Sega Dreamcast and how the PS2 was, was going to be coming out in 2000. Wow, the, I know the future. Yeah, PS2. So when we're talking about the Dreamcast, it's like, and um, and I, I want to see you. I can. I was thinking about you know what? Let's let's do a little bit of the audio right here. But what truly distinguishes the console is its built-in 56K modem, enabling players to log on to the Dreamcast network and chat with fellow gamers, oh, download God. tips, and compare scores. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, do you like dogs? <laughs> what's the weather like out there? The weather, uh, the real, be here. <laughs> the, the real reason for the for the modem. If you love Marilyn Manson, type one 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 one. Do you listen to Small Hours? Crickets, crickets, Sorry. crickets. Uh, the real reason for the modem is online multiple player gaming, a staple on PCs, but a first on consoles. Disappointingly, however, Dreamcasters won't see any multiplayer games until 2000, a glaring blemish considering the otherwise impressive 16 game inaugural lineup. So the discussion was about uh, online multiplayer uh, gaming and us kind of like saying, yeah, right. Yeah. And because we were, uh, we were amazed that it had a modem. So, so you know, <laughs> it, was a, it was really, really interesting to listen. And, and Wolfman's like, did we get anything right? And it's like, you know, one thing we didn't factor? The hordes of foul mouth kids <laughs> in online gaming. That's the yeah, one thing we, yeah. didn't, we didn't have the, uh, the foresight to predict. So 
Here it is. Now, if you ever want to hear a bunch of kids who have apparently have had sex with your mom, go online <laughs> <laughs> and enjoy. All right, let's kick off the uh, actual Small Hours podcast, episode number 10, this time with Al Guevara and Joe Guevara. Kick it off with some news from BoxOfficeMojo.com. For the third weekend in a row, the conversation concerns new films failing to meet expectations. Though this Halloween weekend in particular is even more dire. With newcomers burnt, which I predicted was not going to do very well. I don't know if you recall. You heard the yes, episode recently, uh-huh. right? And Our Brand is Crisis, which I wasn't sure on. Falling well below even the most pessimistic of predictions. This was the worst weekend of 2015 yet. With the top 12 tallying an estimated $62 million. That's $3.8 million below the first weekend in September when War Room was number one. In its second weekend in release with only $9.4 million. In more positive news, we do have some news from Spectre in its first week. Because it opened in the UK a week before. Uh-huh. I'll tell you about that in just a bit. Beginning with the domestic box office, Fox has a bonafide hit on their hands. The Martian finished number one again the second weekend in a row and the fourth weekend out of the five it has been in theaters, dropping only 27.5% with another $11.4 million adding it to its total. It's now at over $182 million domestically, $428.4 million worldwide, just a little over $5 million behind Interstellar's overall domestic cum. It's uh, also just under $5 million shy of becoming director Ridley Scott's highest grossing domestic release of all time. Coming in second this weekend was Goosebumps, still at number two, adding an estimated $10.2 million as the film has done well in its first three weekends. It will, however, be interesting to see where it finishes up. This is interesting, as its international haul hasn't been hefty as of yet. Just $9.2 million heading into the weekend, and that $58 million budget means it's going to need to add some more dough to its bank before all is said and done to be considered at least successful. Arriving in third position, we're still yet to find one of the weekend's new releases. This weekend's top three mirrors last weekend with Bridge of Spies holding on very nicely yet again with another sub-30% drop, this time bringing in $8 million. The total for the Spielberg-Hanks thriller goes to $45 million. Not even in fourth do we have a new release or even one of last weekend's new releases for that matter. Six-week-old Hotel Transylvania 2 is at number four. Still doing solid numbers, bringing in an estimated $5.8 million. It's now $7.7 million ahead of uh, part one from 2012 of its overall cum and Sony's top-grossing domestic release of 2015 by large margin. As a matter of fact, check out Sony's 2015 chart and notice how the top three films, this one, Hotel Transylvania 2, Pixels, and Paul Blart Mall Cop 2 are all Adam Sandler productions. So it's interesting to see Sony has all their horses in Adam Sandler's stable. And now Adam Sandler has that deal with Netflix. I don't know if you caught that one. There's, you know, The Hateful Eight, yes, Tarantino's uh, movie coming out. Well, the, he's releasing a movie with a lot of recognizable actors on Netflix called The Ridiculous Six. Okay. They're all brothers. And it's like <laughs> a black guy, a Chinese guy, or a Mexican, played, of course, by Rob Schneider. Oh. Because yeah. who else is going to play? A Mexican. Yeah. There's nobody out there. <laughs> nobody. Uh, and, and I know you're not a big fan of Adam Sandler movies because they seem to follow a certain I pattern. Think some people are not. I like Waterboy. And then after a while, it's like, oh, really? Another Waterboy? Yeah. Well, I'd love <laughs> another Waterboy. But really, what I've noticed lately, and uh, I think pretty much anybody has, it's like, where does Adam Sandler want to take his kids on vacation to? Yeah. You know, Hawaii. Hey, let's go to Africa. Let's do Blended in South Africa or wherever he wants to go. And, and always write a hot chick as your... Uh, Cool, cool, cool. Listen, let's go back to <laughs> let's go back to the radio days of the small hours, and uh, and say, okay, if we're writing a screenplay and you're the star, are you going to be casting a really hot chick to be your love interest, where you'd have at least one scene making out with her? 
Of course. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, come on. Come on. Know? Sure, yeah. Yeah, why not? Who cares, man? I mean, you're the star, you know? Just like, uh, who was it? Uh, Eddie Murphy said, I'm a star. You're not going to beat me up in my own movie. You know? Right. It's like, the, you're not going to get the girl in my movie. Uh, let's see. Where are we at here? Oh, yeah. So, anyway, that pretty much uh, might be changing. The weekend might be changing next week or this coming weekend because Spectre's coming out. So, that's going to throw everything. Trust me. The number one film is going to be Spectre this coming mm-hmm. weekend. Finally, we come to one of the weekend's new releases as the Weinstein's Burnt. Finally sneaks in fifth place with an estimated $5 million. For star Bradley Cooper, this is his second week release in a row following Aloha earlier this year, which I think was another vacation movie. You know, he had gotten some hits. He had American Sniper, did great. It's like, do a paycheck movie. Yeah. And in Hawaii, you know what I mean? Take the kids out or whatever, or take the family out, girlfriend out. Aloha, however, managed $9.6 million in its opening weekend despite a rash of negative press surrounding nearly every aspect of that film. Burnt didn't exactly have positive reviews heading into the weekend with a B-minus cinema score suggesting it won't be hanging around for too long in this area. Cooper, however, won't be singed for too long as he has the movie Joy coming up, his latest teaming with director David O. Russell and Jennifer Lawrence that's coming up in December. So that one should do a little bit better. I think this one, Burnt, as soon as I saw the previews, I was like, who are they aiming at? I don't it's a very niche audience that that movie's aimed at. Yeah, like you said, mostly women who are attracted to him, maybe some foodies, somebody, you know. It is a very particular audience that they're going after. Another, maybe just a little paycheck movie. The thing about those movies, I think, is that they do well in rentals. and I'm guessing, yeah. What else is there to see? Mm, hey, look, Bradley Cooper. Mm. Exactly. I recognize him. Yeah. And I think he's at that level where he's recognizable, where he can do these types of movies and generate money. Like, I was watching, um, I don't remember, it was one of the movies, I think it was the behind the scenes for from Dust Till Dawn or something, and, and one of the actors, I think it was Fred Williamson, or I don't remember who it was. Anyway, he was talking about how he can be successful making low-budget movies with no stars, because the budget is so low, the income they're able to generate with home video and things like that pays for it and it makes a profit. Right. So, I mean, it's easy to continue Just make volume. Volume. <laughs> volume and enough to where you make your money back and then some and you're good to go. I mean, imagine how much you can write off on tax purposes. Uh, that's It it's really is a sweet gig that we should have gotten into a long time ago. Well, you start, we can write something and we can <laughs> shoot <work>. it. <laughs> and, you know, just do, I've seen really, really bad movies. Really. <laughs> and we've watched them. <clears throat> exactly. So we made them some money. As a matter of fact, I saw a lot of them with Spinning Chris. <laughs> Spinning Chris, yeah, he got me a lot of them, like the um, Flying Guillotine. That's what it was. Wow. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful chop socky movie. My, my uh, <laughs> all-time classic Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, you know, stuff like that. Part two with George Clooney. <laughs> yeah, they... And I was in San Diego when they were filming that movie. Wow. Yeah. I remember reading about it in the news. Of course, I didn't know who George Clooney was. Right. Nobody did. Dreamboat, you know? But I didn't know at the time. And uh, yeah, so I mean, but I was in San Diego at the time. Lionsgate, The Last Witch Hunter, dropped 56%, which is what they pretty much estimated last week for a sixth place, $4.7 million finish, just ahead of fellow sophomore feature Paranormal Activity, The Ghost Dimension. Ghost Dimension brought in an estimated 3.4 also dropping about 57% from its opening to go along with an additional $13.5 million internationally as its cum climbs to $51.3 million. Not too bad. In eighth is where we find Sandra Bullock's worst wide release opening to date, $3.4 million wow. for a Sandra Bullock movie. The opening weekend for our brand is Crisis Falls even below, below even 2 if I see, which opened with $4.6 million back in 1996. Even that opening, however, translates to $8.7 million when adjusted to today's ticket prices. Although, 
if uh, the movie came out at today's ticket prices, would you pay that much to see two by C? Probably not. Probably not. Uh, this is also another bust for director David Gordon Green, whose last true hit was Pineapple Express in 2008, although I'm sure many would argue such films such as George Washington and 2014's Joe are where he truly shines, not his mass audience features. The political comedy earned only a C-plus cinema score from opening day audiences, which means our brand is crisis. It's going to fall and fall fast. Rounding out the top 10 has got to be one of the year's biggest disappointments from a box office perspective. Universal's beautiful 2015 at the box office just couldn't manage to save Danny Boyle's movie. Steve Jobs couldn't make it a hit. The film had an excellent opening in limited theaters, huge numbers. But once it went wide last weekend, audiences just didn't show up. From what I understand, it's a good movie. It just didn't find a a mass audience. It dropped a whopping 63.7%. Steve Jobs managed only $2.58 million this weekend at a $1,035 per theater average. Everyone involved are going to have to hope for some serious awards juice to keep it in the social consciousness and get an uptick in home video and hopefully get those Oscar nominations. Because if it doesn't come through... I'm going to be losing a lot of money on that one. I think the thing with that is that they've already, the movie that was done where Aston Kutcher did such a great job, where they did such a great job with him looking like Steve mm-hmm. Jobs. This one, the guy admits not look looks it, yeah. nothing like him. Uh, the story is factual or whatever, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I think we're so visual. And since it's already been done well, mm-hmm. I think that had a negative effect on it. And I think they were counting on people thinking that the Ashton Kutcher one wasn't that good comparatively. Yeah. And maybe if you put them side by side, uh, this would be the apple to the orange. <laughs> oh, nice. That, cause of, never mind. I'm sorry. I apologize. <laughs> I'm slipping right back to the small hours radio mode. The last of the weekend's new wide releases is Paramount Scout's Guide to the Zombie Apocalypse on only 1,509 theaters as uh, several exhibitors refused to show the picture on account of Paramount's experiment with a new flexible release window. We talked about this last episode. The uh, movie managed only $1.77 million and audiences that caught the film on opening night gave it a decent B-minus cinema score. It may be hard to ever say whether or not their release strategy with these two titles, Scout's Guide and uh, Paranormal Activity, was a success or not. Certainly, a studio didn't plan on several exhibitors refusing to show either film, which really affects the overall results. Had the studio known they might have released both films a month earlier, planning on having both titles available on demand for the Halloween weekend, rather than attempting to jockey for position at the multiplex as neither has had a big marketing spend. I mean, I hadn't heard about Scout's Guide, but occasionally. Right. I saw the occasional commercial. Uh, same with Paranormal Activity, although that seemed to have had... A bigger marketing push. I've seen more of two. more of that, yeah. And, and again, there's some people that are, are very into that specific kind of movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people are turned off by it, and it's just not something that they want to go spend their money on. You have to really push it if you're going to make your money back. Yeah, or they're saying, well, we don't really need to push it because it is a very specific movie, so they're going to watch it anyway eventually. Yeah. So why spend on the additional marketing if they are going to watch it? I mean, come on. You're Scouts, adding to the cost, yeah. Scouts Guide to the Zombie Apocalypse. Somebody's going to rent it just by the title <laughs> alone. And if you give it a good t- uh, good cover, good artwork, that'll, that should do well. Uh, The James Bond news that I was telling you about, the latest James Bond film released in six territories so far. It's taken in $80.4 million, (laughs) which includes record-breaking numbers in the UK where it opened to an estimated $63.8 million in its first seven days of release. We're we're talking U.S. money here. I'm not going to talk about crones and euros and all that. Okay, just give me the U.S. money. Uh, Spectre took the highest seven-day gross record in UK box office history from the last James Bond film, Skyfall. 
Additional records were broken in the Netherlands, where they took in $3.7 million, surpassing the record set by Skyfall. In the Nordic region, they set records in Finland and Norway with $2.3 million U.S., and $2.8 million, uh, respectively. In Denmark, it achieved the biggest three-day opening of all time with $4.21 million, also surpassing Skyfall. In Sweden, it added another $2.97 million, 30% over the opening of Skyfall. Add to that that a new IMAX record as it uh, opened with the highest per location average in IMAX history. Spectre is the first film to ever top a $100,000 per location average, bringing in $5 million on just 47 IMAX screens. That's crazy. The previous IMAX per location record for an opening weekend was Transformers Dark of the Moon with about $76,000 per screen. So this one just blew it away. away. Spectre will arrive on 537 IMAX screens next weekend or this coming weekend, including stateside, where it will open in over 3,600 theaters, hoping to top the $88.3 million opening weekend Skyfall enjoyed in 2012. Do you think it'll cross... 88.3. 88.3. Probably. There's, it's, it's been, uh, the movies have been well received and uh, the actor is really good. Mm-hmm. The, it's a great product. People expect it. They're looking forward to seeing it and I, I'm sure it will. It's got Christoph Waltz. It's got, uh, let's see, uh, Leah Sadu, uh, Ray Fiennes, of course, returning, Daniel Craig and director Sam Mendes, who uh, I have some news about his involvement in, in the Bond franchise. I honestly think it'll be, I, I want to say $100 million, over $100 million, but I think it'll at least cross over 90 Uh It looks really good. The only thing I have against the movie is that really dumb song by Sam Smith. <laughs> I heard it. I was like, what? I mean, if you remember, the they started off the Daniel Craig era with Chris Cornell, You Know My Name. Great song. Mm-hmm. Rockin' song. Phenomenal voice. Great intro. Then I don't even remember the one for uh, the second movie, Quantum of Solace. Skyfall was great. Adele, phenomenal voice. Great right. song. Then I heard this and I was like, that's a Bond song? It was a letdown. I don't know if they're doing great song, bad song. Great song, bad song. So maybe for the next one, great, great song. Really great song. <laughs> so again, opening up this weekend, we got. I'm only going to mention the, the ones I think are going to be making any sort of impact this weekend. Spectre, coming in at 148 minutes. A cryptic message from Bond's past sends him on a trail to uncover a sinister organization, while M battles political forces to keep the Secret Service alive. Bond peels back the layers of deceit to reveal the terrible truth behind Spectre. Now, if you remember Quantum of Solace, um, the second movie, the evil organization was trying to control one thing. Do you remember what that was? No. Water. They're trying to, if you control water, you can pretty much control the world. Mm -hmm. And I just... I just made this connection in true small hours fashion <laughs> recently. If you look at Spectre, it ends with an E, right? And the first vowel is also an E. You know that what other evil organization is threatening to control the world's water? No. Nestle. You see? There's Very a connection good. right there. They both have E's, first and second vowels. It ends with an E, and they want to control water. I think they based Spectre. On Nestle. on Nestle, perhaps. So look for That's that. That's the first thing that came to my mind. Nestle, Nestle yes. you see, <laughs> it's it's got to be a conspiracy conspiracy theory somewhere that has a better explanation than what I just gave. <laughs> Two vowels. 
<laughs> matching vowels. The buzz on this one, the 24th James Bond movie has been enveloped with drama as cameras began rolling. Remember, its script was leaked as part of the Sony hack, which I uh, I avoided on purpose. I didn't want to know anything about this movie, causing the production to make adjustments to the story on the fly. Suddenly, the 007 universe found itself the, the subject of daily rumors, set leaks, and speculation like never before. It's no wonder Daniel Craig is a bit frayed from all of it. And Sam Mendes, like I mentioned earlier, has called quits on the franchise. So he did Skyfall, did Spectre, then he's out. So um, we'll see how the next one goes. Together, the star and the director have elevated the Bond world to previously unseen heights. As Spectre, like we mentioned, breaking box office records upon its worldwide release. We say farewell to Mendes and wonder if that's if it's true that Craig will not be returning for Bond 25. They told him he can do it as long as he wants. But uh, I don't know. I think he should take a break. Yeah, there had been that thing that he said that he'd rather slit his wrist. Yeah. And then somebody right came out and said, yeah, no, that was a joke. So mm, if he steps back and thinks about it, counts all the money he's making, he make them back. Then again, it may be time for another Bond. Because he's already been doing it for 10, 12 years. Yeah. Four movies. Four 10, movies. 10, 12 years. I mean, yeah. you think about it, it's like, oh, it's only four movies. But it's been over a decade. That's yeah. a long time. But what I like about it is he kind of reinvented Bond or they reinvented Bond with him. And I liked what they did with it. I, I, I like the character. He's a great actor as far as I'm concerned. I've seen him in other stuff. I like him better in Bond. Did you know, by the way, that uh, anybody, actor who signs up to be Bond, so in case they approach you, mm-hmm. uh, you give up your right to wear a tuxedo in any other movie. Really? Yeah, like Pierce Brosnan. Uh-huh. When he did Thomas Crown Affair, he had his shirt open and a white tie just hanging out. Huh. He, he, couldn't, he couldn't wear a tie because he looked like Bond. Wow. So, <laughs> so in case they contact you to replace Daniel Craig... Know that you'll be giving that up. If that's a deal breaker, I understand. I know how attached you are to really, my tux. Yeah. Your tux, yeah. So hey, anyway, penguin. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see here. Oh, oh, by the way, another note on uh, Bond Twenty Five: the project might be made at another movie studio because the rights are up for grabs. Oh. So who's going to be the highest bidder at this point of the franchise? Wow, that's going to be huge. There's a lot of money is going to be shelled out for that one. Another big movie I think is going to be going on this weekend is the Peanuts movie. Uh, it's rated G. Snoopy embarks on his greatest mission as he and his team take to the skies to pursue their arch nemesis while his best pal Charlie Brown begins his own epic quest back home. It's directed by Steve Martino, and unlike the recent adult-skewing reworking of the Muppets, it seems as though the Peanuts legacy as we know it has been preserved by 20th Century Fox and Blue Sky Studios, the animation house behind the Ice Age franchise as well as Rio. For those of us who grew up loving Charlie Brown and uh, never quite understanding Lucy's deal. We're happy to see he's setting the, the, his sights on the little red-headed girl on the big screen. And as soon as I saw the trailers, I said, they got it. Yeah. They they captured the what it was about the, the cartoon. The spirit of the cartoon. The spirit, yeah. yeah. And I'm glad they went with the G. Yeah, I don't think that everything should be made PG-13, you know. I think that something should be preserved. It was It was such a great hit because it was what it was. No adults. Mm-hmm. It was just, you know, uh, uh, off, off camera mm-hmm. or off site uh, where all the adults, it's a child's world. It's their perspective and it's it, their mentality and uh, whatever they bring to the cartoon, it's from them and for them. So I think it's great that our kids mm-hmm. or our grandkids right. <clears throat> uh, get to enjoy <laughs> what we enjoyed. Not that I have. Right. The one thing that I, that I like is they didn't make it with, with irony. You know what I mean? Like they have done with other stuff. Like I think a lot of stuff that I saw like Family Guy and, and, and things like that where they would take scenes from like Sesame Street or whatever and 
do something raunchy with it or whatever. Right. So that's what some of these kids are, are growing up with, you right. know, even, even my 13 year old. Um, so seeing this one, hopefully my four year old <laughs> will get skipped over with that other crap. You know? Right. Right. And enjoy something a little, um, wholesome, wholesome. Exactly. The other movie that I think would will be good, namely because of one name, is Trumbo. In 1947, Dalton Trumbo has, was Hollywood's top screenwriter until he and other artists were jailed and blacklisted for their political beliefs. The director is Jay Roach and stars Brian Cranston. And uh, man, I just, just watching that guy, uh, he's such a great actor. I became a fan of his because of Breaking Bad. And I, I never was a Malcolm in the Middle fan, so I didn't see him as... The dad, you know, uh-huh. so I saw him brand new in Breaking Bad, and so I really like his his dramatic chops. Did you see the edit that I posted online? I saw a little bit. I think it was on uh, one of the uh, night shows, mm-hmm. uh, evening shows, and and I saw, like you said, he's he's got such character. Mm-hmm. He, he his uh, his face. We we talk about several actors that can convey so much with just a little expression, mm-hmm. a little. Pause in their delivery. Tilt and he's the head. one of those. Yeah, <laughs> you one know. Of, he's one of those guys, mm-hmm. and it's really good. It looks it looks like one of those you I want to watch. Have you seen Breaking Bad? Yes, the whole series, the whole all the way to the end. Yeah, watch that that fan cut. I mean, it's just man, almost start to finish, and it's just beautifully done. It's fantastic. So I I, I highly recommend it. The buzz on this one, Trumbo. Hard to believe it was roughly two generations ago that the U.S. Congress, consumed by the idea of ferreting out communists from all walks of public and private society, held hearings that wound up blacklisting approximately 300 people from working in the movie and television industry. Screenwriter Dalton Trumbo, one of the more famous names on the list, kept on writing scripts, of course. He even won Oscars for a Roman holiday and the brave one, wild banned from working in the industry. Turning to this dramatization of his life, we hear John McNamara's script is crammed with one-liners that Brian Cranston serves up with abandon, and that's one thing he, he really can. And the ensemble cast portrayal of some of the most notorious era's most famous faces make Trumbo one of the most watchable and resonant movies of the season, so I'm definitely looking forward to that one. Trumbo out this weekend, probably not in Laredo. No. <laughs> yeah, but it, it, it will eventually get here, I'm sure. Uh, even if it's on Redbox. <laughs> Uh, from unrealitytv.co.uk, I don't know about you guys, but I think the Marvel film I'm most looking forward to seeing is Doctor Strange. Have you been ke- keeping up with Doctor Strange? No, I have not. Aside from the fact that Benedict Cumberbatch will play the title role, the film promises something entirely different from anything we've seen in the Marvel Cinematic Universe thus far. Strange is a sorcerer with an origin story that is different from the rest of his comrades. He was a doctor who seeks help from a higher power after an accident ruins his ability to perform his occupational duties and discovers he possesses abilities that he never knew he had what's more he's the most powerful sorcerer in the universe so when i tell you to expect big things believe me expect big things director scott derrickson is getting ready to begin shooting the film this month and he's got a few key roles to fill out what we know for certain was that oscar nominee uh shuatel ejiofor is definitely in his fellow sorcerer baron mordo which is great news that guy's a great actor. Rachel McAdams is set to play Night Nurse, similar to the type of uh, role Rosario Dawson plays in Daredevil. Tilda Swinton, another great actress, is on board to play her men- to his mentor, the Ancient One. She's just a freaky-looking woman. I love her. <laughs> Tilda Swinton, man. Since I saw her in uh, Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, I was like, yes! Uh, <laughs> now, then, of course, there's that tricky villain role. And this one, I had to add this story because as soon as I read this, I was like, holy crap! There, there were talks that Hannibal star Mads Mikkelsen was in negotiations to take it on, but recent comments 
by the actor seem to run counter to that rumor. Well, fear not. According to The Hollywood Reporter, Mickelson is definitely on board for the film, although the exact role he plays is still unclear. I really like Mads Mickelson. Yeah. Since I saw him in Casino Royale, became a fan. So when I heard he was going to play Hannibal Lecter, it became a must-watch for me. Yeah, I know you're a fan of the show. That guy is just like <laughs> creepy, man. And he played the Hannibal just great. He just he's one of those guys that can do a lot with uh with his face, with his eyes. He has like dead eyes mm-hmm. or something. And uh I, I just really like as as an actor. So when I saw this news, I'm like, excellent. Uh the actor just recently worked on the anthology film Star Wars Rogue One for director Gareth Edwards. Also joined Doctor Strange's Boardwalk Empire alum, Michael Stuhlbarg. Now, you watched Boardwalk Empire, right? Yes. I didn't. Well, you said it was a good show, right? I, I really enjoyed it. His role is being kept on, under wraps. Of course, as filming kicks off, you can expect plenty of leaks to confirm certain elements of the story as well. Moving on to some television news from ET Online. Looks like Star Trek is going to live long and prosper once again. Just like practically every other iconic show in TV history, except Gilligan's Island, Star Trek is also getting a flashy new reboot. And Beverly Hillbillies haven't done a reboot on that one, right? No. Get my agent on the phone. <laughs> Hello? No, it's CBS. Y'all? <laughs> did, I, did I call uh, Iceland again by accident? Do you have them on speed dial? <laughs> All right, CBS Television Studios announced on Monday morning that the network will launch a completely new Star Trek TV series in January 2017. The new series will blast off with a special preview broadcast on the CBS Television Network. Then, in an effort to keep up with the streaming services, all subsequent episodes will be available on CBS's digital subscription service, CBS All Access. According to the CBS press release, the new Star Trek series will introduce new characters seeking imaginative new worlds and new civilizations while exploring the dramatic contemporary themes that have been a signature of the franchise since its inception in 1966. Alex Kurtzman, the co-writer and producer of the films Star Trek and Into Darkness, will executive produce the series. So, should be a quality series. Should be, yeah. I, I was confused because I saw in the in the uh, picture of what uh, that it's upcoming. I saw some of the familiar faces from previous shows, mm-hmm. and I wasn't sure if they were going to be associated with the new show or it's a whole new whole new cast. I, I haven't seen anything on it. I just read this today, so I was like, I better add that. Uh, I, I'm going to be reading more into it. So I like Star Trek. I like them. Here's the thing: I'm not an either or, I'm not a Star Trek or Star Wars guy. Mm-hmm. I, I like them both, man. I'm a I'm a, a geek because I like a whole lot of different things. So, you know, that's, I think, the way to be. You have to be eclectic. Well, at yeah. least that's my opinion. The only thing I didn't get into was Xbox. I always stayed a PlayStation guy. Really? I just, I, yeah, I never, I, I, that was And that's where we're at odds because I've, the only console I've bought is a Xbox. And, you know, the experiences I've had with that. And, right. And then I just, you know, gave up. It's mainly because I'm cheap. <laughs> you know, I didn't want to buy another. Because then I have to buy $60 games for two consoles. Yeah, no, yeah. thanks. It was bad enough with one. But I passed it on to my son, and now he's an no. Xbox fan. Now he gets to get angry at the Xbox. <laughs> and by the games himself. Right. Uh, from Vulture.com, John Stewart has finally found his big post-Daily Show move. He's joining. He's following John Oliver to HBO. The network announced that it had formed an exclusive four-year production pact with Stewart, under which the former uh, The Daily Show host will produce uh, short-form digital entertainment for HBO Now, HBO Go, and... Mysterious other platforms. Wow. So look look out for that. It all sounds very futuristic, especially part of the press release that talks about how Stewart is developing new technology, which will allow him to eviscerate people, concepts, and minerals multiple times a day. What's that mean? Hmm. (laughs) HBO will also have first look rights for any other film or TV projects he dreams up. So good deal for Jon Stewart. He put in a lot of time on TV. 
He did. He did. And it sounds like more and more that cable and that type of it's it's on its way out. It's gonna be pick and choose what you can you can digitally stream. A la carte, yeah. And 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 it's good. And I think one of the the, the forerunners to this was Netflix doing the uh, the the House of Cards and, and Daredevil was great. Yeah. Looking forward to Jessica Jones. I mean there's other shows that are on Netflix, Orange is the New Black. Uh, and, and other shows that I haven't even watched that are on there that I've heard very good things about. And uh, now, like you're seeing the Star Trek one that's going to be on CBS All Access, the Jon Stewart stuff that's going to be on HBO. So uh, there, it's good and bad yeah. because now it, it's going to be uh, – you're going to have to search out. So it's it's interesting. We're at a turning point right now where uh, I think they're throwing the puzzle pieces on the table. Now we need to figure out where everything goes. Right. Paper play. I mean, it can get a little pricey if you right. got the different subscriptions to the $9 here, $10 there. Right. It adds up to your cable bill. Right. <laughs> and without all the extra 130 channels. Right. That you just flip through anyway. There's a lot of them that I don't even like. I There's... <laughs> there, there are literally dozens of channels that I'll never watch. Right. You know, and occasionally it's it's weird because occasionally I'll run into one and it's like, oh, what's that? Naked and Afraid. I like this show. <laughs> Where's the one without the blurring? <laughs> no, not that one. Her. All right. Uh, moving on, some music news. Um, I don't know if you caught this one off of blabbermouth.net. Metallica has confirmed that it will perform. 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 That it will, <laughs> here, is this Iceland again? <laughs> that it will perform at. The night before, a concert event set to take place the night before Super Bowl 50 on Saturday, February 6th at uh, AT&T Park, home of the San Francisco Giants. This was confirmed by Lars Ulrich. He was talking on a radio station this past Monday. Metallica fans will have access to the night before tickets first through a fan club presale like they usually do, while general ticket sales begin on Friday the 6th at 10 a.m., Pacific time through Ticketmaster, so expect another 40 bucks in fees. Metallica will be joined at the event by Cage the Elephant, who will also perform. They're invited because they'd been a guest at the Orion Fest, I think, previously, and the, guy, the guys in Metallica liked them a lot, so they invited them to uh, perform. Metallica has played at AT&T Park the last three years by hosting the annual Metallica Night at San Francisco Giants Games. Earlier this year, the band expanded that tradition, bringing in Metallica Night into the South Bay for a San Jose Sharks hockey game. Metallica has been working on a new album, but there's no word if any uh, music will be aired at the performance. Kirk Hammett confirmed last week that the band was in process of recording new material, saying, quote, at this point, we're still just doing basic backing tracks. James is doing his guitar stuff, and I'm just kind of waiting patiently to go in there and do all my guitar stuff. It's kind of interesting the role that Kirk Hammett has had in Metallica. He's always been that guy that um, I think it's like, Hey, get Kirk out of the closet. We need a solo. <laughs> he's a filler. Yeah. Like, he's just kind of like, a, I don't want to call him the Michael Anthony of Metallica. <laughs> you know, but he's just kind of like, I don't know. He's come, always come had proof, that, come and fluff. You know, add some stuff. Make it better. Make you it know, better, because definitely. this is James and, and Lars. Hey, hey, hey. And it's like, it's, it's guys, Lars Ulrich. And the, <laughs> did you see that video where they went into the studio? They, they, they're promoting, uh, it was Lars, he was uh, on camera doing a little video promoting their new website. And they went in the studio and, and Hetfield was in there recording some guitar and he played a little riff. So mm, he's like, he's recording, they're recording. So apparently they are working on their first new album. And that's what it says, says uh, the last Metallica album, Death Magnetic, came out in 2008. Wow. So it's already been seven years wow, yeah. <laughs> since they've had an album. So, uh, another, uh, another member of the Big Four News, Megadeth, is going to be embarking on a U.S. tour in February. The four-band package will mark Megadeth's first U.S. run of dates in support of its new album, Dystopia, which is scheduled for release in January. While chatting with fans on Halloween via Periscope, I haven't downloaded Periscope yet. Do you have Periscope? I have it, and it's uh, I've caught How does that only- work? 
You have to be on time when somebody's actually broadcasting. It's only live. It's only live. Okay, so like you have to follow him on Twitter and say, hey, I'm going to go on Periscope right now. Right. Or something. Okay. I don't know if I have time for that. <laughs> <laughs> it's odd hours. Yeah, it could be at any time, right? Anyway, so he was talking to his fans on Periscope. He said that he had this to say about Megadeth's touring plans. We're not going to be heading back into the States until I think in February of 16, I think, is when we start the U.S. tour. And we've got a pretty interesting lineup. I'm sure you guys are going to be stoked. I can't say anything yet until it's confirmed, but it looks like everybody's going to be accepting the tour and it'll be four of us. Mustaine also spoke about Megadeth's musical direction on Dystopia, the band's first release to feature Lamb of God drummer Chris Adler, a beast, mm-hmm. and Brazilian guitarist Kiko Luleiro, who's actually very, very good, best known for his work with Angra. He said, I think we're, gonna, we're going back to our thrash roots, and in the process, Chris came into things, so it, that's working out well. Megadeth and Lamb of God will tour the UK together later this month, and Adler revealed in a recent interview that there's talk of having us do a North American tour run, uh, North American run rather together early this year. So that might be one of the bands on the uh, bill. That'd be a great show. Oh, yeah. He spoke about how he's preparing on pulling double duty every night. He goes, <laughs> I'm carb loading before the show. I've been working really, really hard over the past probably 10 years to keep my fellow self in shape. What I try to do is about a 10 mile run every day. And then, and then I play the Lamb of God show, which I'm sure is a workout. Oh, yeah. <coughs> Sorry about that. Oh, man, I have something in my throat. <coughs> Ramen noodles. <laughs> <laughs> so i figure those two things together are probably going to equal to what i do with these guys so it'll be megadeth and lamb of god that'll be man that's gonna be drained oh yeah but he's been talking about it i heard several interviews where he's talking about it he's really stoked and uh the, the that word again the lineup that <laughs> the lineup that they have seems to be really really uh good and they seem to have gelled in a way that uh that they were really looking forward to yeah, so, Megadeth, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to listening to or hopefully catching it. I, I hope it comes near us somewhere. Well, uh, a lot of metal acts are avoiding uh, a lot of areas. I know I think it was Iron Maiden. They're not going any further than like Houston or something. Like that. They're avoiding like New Mexico or Arizona. So it's crazy. Yeah, they, so, I know they went to the uh, to 360 in Austin. Mm-hmm. That's where we caught them. Okay. But uh, yeah, there must have been some other band that I heard of that they're missing some, some big... what. Would have been a stop previously for other bands. Some bands are skipping. Um, due to his Lamb of God schedule, Adler was unable to play with Megadeth in China and Japan last month and was temporarily replaced by Tony Laureano of uh, ex of Demu Borger, Nile, and Angel Corpse, a veteran extreme metal skinsman who has worked as Megadeth's drum tech since 2011. Adler made his live debut with Megadeth in July in Quebec City, Quebec, Canada. The follow-up to 2013's Super Collider, Dystopia, was recorded earlier in the year in Nashville, Tennessee, because... Where else are you going to record a Megadeth album than in Nashville, Tennessee? Music City, USA. That's right. And it was mixed by Josh Wilbur, who had previously worked with Lamb of God, All That Remains, Gojira, and Blake Shelton. No, I'm wow. <laughs> <laughs> Oddly enough, uh, I, don't know if you caught the, I don't know if you caught this story from EW.com or saw it online. The Foo Fighters are a band that keeps its word. After a thousand fans and local musicians in Sassana, Italy invited the group to perform in their hometown by playing Learn to Fly in a video that went viral. Did you see the video? No. A thousand people playing Learn to Fly. Nice. It was crazy. Um, Dave, uh, Dave Rowland Company made their way to the small city for a show on Tuesday night at uh, Carisport. I remember seeing the, um, the response because Dave was like, you wouldn't believe how many people sent me this video. Like, check this out, check this out, check this out. So he's, he was really – and you know how cool Dave is, man. I mean – I don't. You know what it is about Dave Grohl? He's the guy that we'd always hoped somebody we were a fan of would be. 
Yeah. Like, that's how I'd be or something. If if I ever made it, I'd be that guy. I'd be that. He's that guy. Like, he's the guy that I, that said that and actually did it. Yeah. You know, and uh, what I liked about him as well was that after Nirvana, after Kurt Cobain's suicide, he didn't, like, go on, hey, how was that Nirvana and expect to be up here? No, he started at the bottom again with the Foo Fighters and built the Foo Fighters uh, from scratch. Uh, he even recorded everything, I think, on the first album himself and built that audience not on the merits of Nirvana, but on the merits of Foo Fighters. Right. So, I mean, just just a phenomenal guy insofar as production uh, of music, of quality music, putting out the ProBot uh, stuff and, and a whole lot of the stuff that he's drummed on and Queens of the Stone Age, etc. So he's that guy, and, and a, I'm one of the guys that's really happy that he's very, very successful. They're fresh off of their huge summer tour. Foo Fighters invited the video's organizers on stage to play Under Pressure. Other covers included Another One Bites of Dust and God Save the Queen. He, the quote was, To see you people singing our song uh, for the whole freaking world, to me, is the greatest moment of my life. Of course we couldn't say no. We had to come. You trapped us. We had to come here. I hope you do the same thing for U2, Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, Rage Against the Machine. Do it for all the rock bands. And if they say no, you know what you say? Vavan... Well, man, I even I even put it phonetically and I messed it up. Vafanculo. <laughs> Which means F off. <laughs> but I can say it in Italian because this is in English. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, sorry, Italian pe- speaking people, fans. I do have fans in Europe, oddly enough. It's kind of weird. It, it is. It, I've, <laughs> I've been following uh, your, you've gotten uh, music from all over the yeah, place. Yeah. And it, it's great. Man. I got another really UK band great. coming up. Uh, uh, I think it's uh, Hecate Enthroned. Just sent me his liner and sent me the full album. Came out in 2013. I'm going to be featuring one of their tracks, I think, next week. Either that or in a couple of weeks. So the lead singer of uh, Eden Kaiser, Leanne Crossburner. She was the one who I hooked up with, and she's hooking me up with a lot of other bands. That's awesome. So thank you, Leanne, and uh, appreciate everything you're doing for the Small Hours Podcast. Uh, Rockin' 1000, the organizers of the video, we're still on the Foo Fighters story, by the way, <laughs> uh, that convinced Foo Fighters to come to Italy, met with the band backstage, and apparently after the official show, Dave Grohl played, of course, an after party for the group. Nice. Come on! Nice. Seriously? This yeah. guy. May he be successful for the rest of his life. Yeah. and then, May he and, never and, turn into Gene Simmons. <laughs> Yeah, that guy, you know what? It comes across as he's genuinely enjoying himself. Yeah. You know, he's chewing on that gum and he's singing and he's... With a cast on. (laughs) He doesn't care. He's just out there for the audience and and he's feeding off of it and he looks like he's loving every minute. Man, I wish they were all that way. I know. Oh, speaking of of, of things I'm a fan of, I I know I mentioned uh, last week and a couple times before that I'm looking forward to seeing Venom Incorporated, Iron and Steel. They're coming to San Antonio. Um, The Corova. It was scheduled for December 1st. They had to postpone it because of stupid visas. They needed more time for the visas, and now it's not until January. So I've been waiting for three years to see these guys again, over three years to see these guys again, except with uh, without Mark Jackson, Empire of Evil. Um, but it's uh, Tony Dolan, Demolition Man, and Mantis, of course. And now with original drummer Abaddon of, of Venom. I'm going to go off on a tangent right now on this one. But it's been uh, postponed to January 27th. If you're going to be heading out there, if you're anywhere in South Texas, San Antonio, January 27th, 2016, Venom Incorporated Necrophagia is also going to be the opening group on that one. So it's an all-ages show. So I'm not sure if I'm going to take my 14-year-old. I don't know if I want his <laughs> first concert experience. I, don't get me wrong. I love uh, Venom Incorporated. I love uh, the Venom stuff. But I'm not sure if that's what I want my 14-year-old <laughs> at this point to, in time. To cut his teeth on. Right. Yeah, I got to start with maybe, you know, something, the Hailstorm or something. <laughs> yeah, something, I don't know. Anyway, so the, the rant I'm going to go on. There's two Venoms out right now. 
Venom is out with Kronos, the original lead singer of uh, of Venom, with other guys. All right, and they're Venom. They're they're playing as Venom. Let me put it that way. And they're going to the Fun 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 Fest or something in in Austin coming up here soon or already passed. I don't know when. And then there's Venom Incorporated. Now let me tell you the story about Venom Incorporated if you're not familiar. And this is only by what I remember. And if you have been listening to any portion of the Small Hours or if you used to listen to Small Hours in radio, you know my memory is vague <laughs> at, <laughs> at best. best. <laughs> at best, kind of Swiss cheesy. Anyway, so. Empire of Evil is going strong with uh, with Tony Dolan and uh, and Mantis, and uh, they had Mark Jackson for a while. He, he recorded the Crucified album, and he recorded the uh, the Live at the Forum. Which, by the way, I'm on the on the sleeve. I haven't shown it to you yet, right? No, uh, I'm in the. You see that album up there, uh-huh. Live at the Forum? I'm in there. My picture is in there. Nice. How awesome is that? that anyway, is great. It's Empire of Evil. Anyway, so uh, they're going well. They're invited to do a show, and they say, "Hey, uh, would you all like to do some Venom songs with? Uh, you know, we invite uh, Abaddon." The, the drummer, Tony Bray. Like, yeah, sure. So they do the show as um, just some Venom songs, and the phone starts blowing up. They're like, we want to see you play. These are the guys that recorded Primeval and a couple other albums. You know, the second lead singer for, for Venom. So they start getting all these calls. Unfortunately, sometime in the past, Mantis, Jeff Dunn, was called by Kronos, and he was Kronos asked him if he could tour as Venom. Mantis owned Venom, owns the name Venom. He created Venom. Right. Man, Venom is Mantis. Mantis is Venom. He said yes. And he he says it's the worst decision he's ever made in his life. He regrets it, yeah. right? So he's out touring his Venom because he was the, the original voice, Black Metal, Welcome to Hell, I'm Possessed. I mean, these albums, classic, classic albums. But it's only him, right? So Venom Incorporated was going to go out as Iron and Steel, People kept calling him Venom. Come Venom, Venom. You will go by Venom Incorporated. So now they're going by Venom Incorporated, Iron and Steel, kind of in parentheses, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Now look at Venom. It's Kronos, singer, mm-hmm. and other guys. Look at Venom Incorporated. It's Mantis, Abaddon, Tony Dolan, Demolition Man, the second second lead singer, right? Right. Who is more of a Venom? Out of the two. <laughs> Venom Incorporated. Exactly. It's like saying, hang on, Iron Maiden without Paul Diano is not Iron Maiden. <laughs> hey, hang on, ACDC without, you know, Bon Scott is not ACDC. And you can do countless of examples. Van Halen without David Lee Roth can't tour as Van Halen. They're not the real Van Halen. Are you kidding me? Yeah. So if Paul Diano goes by himself, gets a bunch of other guys, are they now Iron Maiden? You know what I mean? Yeah. David Lee Roth went off on his own and, you know, got uh, Steve I and got some mm-hmm. talented, talented guys. Were they Van Halen? No. No, they weren't. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So that's the, the, the trouble I have or that's the, the bone I have to pick with people saying, ah, oh, but it's, uh, it's Kronos. He's the voice of black metal. And it... <laughs> really? You know what I mean? Venom Incorporated, in my eyes, is more Venom. It's 100% Venom compared to... Venom. Right. So, I mean, that's just me. Rant over! <laughs> in classic in classic small hours form where you go off on a tangent, and we're back. And we're back. <laughs> and now, there's this. Metal ahead. Please exit now to avoid getting caught in the awesome. There you go, man. By the way, that's not me on guitar on the metal ahead. Just want to clear that up. Okay. That's not me. and I got that off the internet. And I got permission, by the way. I have permission to use that. I, everything I use on the uh, Smallers podcast, which is why you don't hear a lot, 
of uh, elements <laughs> is I have to get permission for because I don't want to get this letter saying, by the way, you're being sued. You know, I don't yeah. or cease and desist. Right. I don't want to have to remove any episode of the Small Hours podcast that I that I create. Right. Plus, you want to be that that uh, place where artists from all over the world can say, right. "Hey, feature us. It's great." Absolutely. I want to be that guy. So. If, before we move on, uh, if you do want to have your song featured and you're a hard rock or metal artist, uh, send it to us. Uh, smallhoursemail at gmail.com. That's smallhoursemail at gmail.com. By the way, that was your off ramp. If you just came for the entertainment news and the tangents, thanks to Joe being here, uh, that was your off ramp. And we'll see you next week. If, however, you want to continue listening and check out the featured track of the week, we got something closer to home. It's from South Texas. It's Rally of the Lost, and their track is called Rescued. They're hardworking. Hard rockin' band, Rally of the Lost, based out of San Antonio. It's a four-piece band with members living in different cities, but it doesn't let that slow the band down. Their passion for writing music and playing live for their fans is what fuels a band. They bring a heavy sound backed up with an adrenaline-fueled live show with a positive and faith-inspired message. Their debut EP titled Stronghold has such a massive sound and energy, lyrics that take you into their real struggles and triumphs. And a strong rock and drive that runs from the opening of the first song follows through to the end of the last song. The band hopes their music will connect and inspire their fans and any fan of rock music. And you can check them out at facebook.com slash rally of the lost music. Now, I want to point out, to date, I've played music from all over the world. And I've played music that goes from one extreme to (laughs) to the other. It's hard rock and metal. But I've played some really, really heavy stuff and some really hard and black metal and stuff like that. But I know I'm not just about one thing. Like these guys have their faith-inspired message of their song, but they contacted us. They wanted us to to consider them to be featured track of the week. So here they are. You're going to be listening to Rally of the Lost with their track "Rescued" on the Small Hours Podcast with Al Gavada. Check it out.
So there you go. That is Rescued by Rally of the Lost. Again, a band out of San Antonio. And you can check them out online. You can do a search for Rally of the Lost. You may come across some videos of cars driving around the middle of nowhere. But that's not them. This is actually a band. You can go to Facebook.com <laughs> slash Rally of the Lost Music. That's Facebook.com slash Rally of the Lost Music. And check them out there. And again, if you're a hard rock or metal uh, band that would like to be considered to be featured as a track right here on the Small Hours Podcast with a listener that I mean listeners that number in the at least single digits one of them is sitting right here then enthusiastically heard exactly we appreciate that you are on the small hours podcast you can contact me small hours email at gmail.com plus if you want to drop us a line just let us know what you think about the show as well and let us know about where you're at and uh, if you have any info on shows coming around our area or something you want to promote as well feel free again to drop us a line small hours email at gmail.com one thing my brother joe for joining me the first time the first official co-host for the small hours podcast something we had talked about for a long time after we stopped doing the small hours radio show, actually doing a podcast, didn't not quite what we talked about. Right, it's going to be small hours blue. Uh-huh. But I just feel no need to be blue. to go there. Yeah, I just <laughs> it's funny because I was listening to the Nerdist podcast with Brian Regan, and they were talking about him not working blue, uh-huh. and then he goes off on a little. If I did, this is what it would sound like. <laughs> <laughs> and he was talking about pop tarts. So anyway, I want to thank you for joining me for episode number 10. Thanks for inviting me. I'm, I'm glad to be here. hope to do it again. Uh, I was a little, a little uh, worried about coming on after having your special guest that was uh, here before talking about the uh, Star Wars, his uh, vast knowledge yeah. of, of the universe. See, but that was a special episode. You are actually on the Small Hours Podcast, episode 10. That's right. So it's different. That's right. It's different. Yeah. It's a whole, that was a sidebar. Right. So thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. Hope to be back. And uh, it's fun to kind of slip back into that uh, back and forth and going off on tangents and stuff. It, it's, it's been really fun. I hope to do it again. Yeah, definitely. And I tell you what, the first time you're here, it's, you're, it's, if you listen again and as, as you do it more, you can realize that you have to break it in a little bit. You're out of practice right now. Right. You still participate a little bit, but later on it's going to be a lot more a lot more freeform because I listened to episode one and I was like, man, what the? Yeah, all right, but it happened. Right now, I'm just Ed, Ed McMahon laughing. Oh, there you go, <laughs> And uh, But you did pull out Iceland. <laughs> so that was that was very good. I may need to do a search for that one. The first time I ever made you lose it on the air. Yeah. That was awesome for me. <laughs> Classic small hours episode um, radio show moment that maybe I'll dig up from the archives. I, I have been doing some digging recently and I, I dug up some of my radio interviews. Uh-huh. I'm considering doing those as small hours special episodes like the Dean Koontz interview. Oh, nice. Had the opportunity to interview Dean Koontz back in 2008. Wow. It's already been seven years since the last Metallica album. So maybe I need to call Dean Koontz and say, hey man, Metallica's doing another album. How about we need to interview? do another interview? <laughs> yeah. So anyway, again, thanks. Uh, thank you very much for listening. You can always find us at thesmallhours.podbean.com. That's thesmallhours.podbean.com. And we're on iTunes, believe it or not. It actually feels official. Yeah. It's weird. It's like, whoa, I'm on iTunes. <laughs> so not that anybody listens, but I'm there. It's like having a, uh, you know, um, a really bad product at Walmart, you know? It's like, <laughs> As seen on TV. <laughs> yeah, you're there, man. You're the bacon bowl or whatever. But actually, people buy the bacon bowl. Yeah. As opposed to listening to the Small Hours podcast with Al Guevara right here on uh, iTunes. Anyway. All right. So, again, thank you, Joe. And, again, I had a blast doing this episode. It was a lot of research. I skipped one one story. I mean, I don't know if I'll use it, but it was about um, – it's a Mel Brooks project. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you a little bit about it. And then you can look it up. It's that good that I threw it away. 
Yeah, no, it's a it's called uh, Blazing Samurai, an animated feature inspired by Mel Brooks' comedy classic Blazing Saddles. Samuels. Yeah, Michael Sarah, Sam Jackson, and Michelle Yeoh providing voices. So there you go. A little pique your interest. You can check it out, Blazing Samurai. Have a great week. We will catch you next week with episode number eleven. Can't say I'm planning something big for that one, but it's going to be different. So at least you got that to look forward to. Thanks again, man. Remember, uh, love your kids, hug them, kiss them, buckle them up. That'll do it for episode number 10. You've been listening to the Small Hours Podcast with Al Guevara. I'm Al Guevara. We'll see you next time.